This is the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short, but now on those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he may not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. All right, well, we've made it to the end of this series on God's ideal for sex, marriage, divorce, and singleness. And I am glad. I'm glad we're at the end of this thing. <laughs> because you know what? This is, this is getting a little too, bit too real sometimes, don't you think? Which is why I would strongly urge you, once again, if you have young children, this would be a great time for them to enjoy kids' ministry. I would encourage you to take them there right now so that you can be in here without sweating and squirming. Okay, so check them in. Hurry right back here because this is challenging and controversial stuff, but so needed because we need to know how God expects us to live, to, to behave in our intimate relationships. And if you've missed any of the previous talks, you can watch them online, you can listen to the podcast. Uh, and while you're there, why not go ahead and connect with us on social media? And if you're new, your first time, really glad to have you with us. And maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, but you're kind of interested in all this God stuff. You're, you're checking it out, and that's cool. So, but I just give you an upfront, like you're probably going to hear some things that uh, are countercultural, that you may not agree with. 
Uh, and that's okay because we said throughout this series that you get a free pass, okay? Because God has different expectations for us as Christians than he would for you. Nobody expects you to live by the authority of God's word. But what we are saying is why not give it a try? Put some of these principles to test and see if they work, okay? But our main concern is that we would introduce you to Jesus, the one who can answer your deepest questions and needs and longings. It's his job to change your heart, and we hope you get to know him like we do, because I think a win would simply be to have you leave today saying, well, you know what, I'm not sure if I agreed with everything that guy said, but you know, it's kind of interesting, and I felt welcome, so yeah, I'll be back. That'd be a good thing. Uh, so we began this series by talking about the difference between those who aren't believers and those who are. Remember we said we're called not to judge uh, sinners where? Outside the church. But we are called to judge sins where? Inside the church. Right? Because we, God expects of us as believers to become like Jesus, to be holy like He is holy. And so we need to get our own house in order first. And you know what, as we're talking about singleness, we have a number of single people in this church. In fact, if you are single, go ahead and raise your hand up high. Let's see them. Every single person, raise your hand up. Keep them up. All right, look around. Look around. All right, just trying to help you out there. You're welcome. Okay, good. Because <laughs> singleness is a good thing. You know you're in good company when Jesus is single, right? Uh, so he elevates the status of singleness. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you're superior because Jesus was single, because he came here for a unique mission, right, that none of us can do. He came to give his life for our sins on the cross, so that didn't involve marriage. But nobody should ever think of a single person as something less than God's ideal. Neither should you think of you, yourself as superior. Both are good. But here's what happens. Sometimes single people are made to feel less than, whether it's in their family or in their social groups, or yes, even in church. I grew up in a church where I'll never forget the name of one of the Sunday school classes. Get this. They called the class the Pears and Spares. Right. I know, right? Either you were paired up with a marriage partner or you were a spare. You're a spare part, spare tire, odd man out, a leftover. Now, I don't think they intended to offend anybody, but come on. Wow. Put a little bit more thought into the name of your Sunday school classes. Because you know what? If if the church is anything like society, then about half the people in here right now and watching are single. And so Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and they'll follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. What are those things? They forbid people to marry. Okay, so it's not a good thing to forbid marriage and to think that you're more spiritual if you're single, even among those who are pastors, you know, to think that pastors should remain single. No, that's not, a, that's not a good thing. We shouldn't forbid that. We don't have any kind of rule like that here. But I will say, when I was a teenager, in my church high school youth group, I knew that I was going into ministry, so I announced to everybody, I'm not going to get married because I want to be like the Apostle Paul, who is single, and I can devote myself more fully to the Lord which didn't really shock anybody because there wasn't exactly a line of girls waiting to date me, okay? But turns out, wouldn't you know, I was the first one out of my youth group to get married. And I've still been married to that same girl I met in my youth group. Been married 34 years to her now. So I'm just saying, you never know who you might meet in church. It's a good place to find a mate. And all of us are going to be single at some point, aren't we? At least until we get married or perhaps later on uh, if you become widowed or you become divorced. Um, 
And of those who do remain single, uh, you know, some choose to remain single and some don't choose it, but they are single. But most, over 90%, are going to be married at some point in their life. But all of us, at least for a season, are going to be single or single again. Okay, so here's where we are, though. People are waiting longer and longer and longer to get married, putting it off. But they're not putting off sex, right? They're not waiting to have sex. It's just assumed nowadays that you will have sex before you get married. And sadly, even among Christians, very few uh, remain virgins until they get married. That's, that's pretty rare. And I know it may sound old-fashioned in these times to say to save sex for marriage, but really there's nothing old-fashioned about it at all. What is old-fashioned is sexual immorality. That goes way back. And we've seen that our culture today isn't all that different from that libidinous culture we've seen in the, in the city of Corinth that this letter was written to in Scripture that they were full of promiscuity and perversity and toleration of all kinds of sexual lifestyle. My goodness, it was part of their religion. They would go to the temple of Aphrodite to worship their goddess of love with temple prostitutes, okay? So nothing old-fashioned about sexual immorality or about what we're living. That's the new thing. Christians were called to live by a new ethic, a countercultural way of looking at sexuality that really uh, was supposed to reflect God's intentional original design that a male and a female would join together as one flesh in a special lifelong covenant bond of faithfulness. That's what was not being practiced. That was new to that culture. And over the centuries as Christianity spread, that became the dominant view. But we've fallen away from that. We've seen the slide in more recent times away from that general understanding of God's will for sex and marriage to where now we're, we're openly embracing more and more premarital sex and cohabitation, which has led to a lot more abortion and parental abandonment and affairs and pornography and homosexual uh, behaviors and divorce and deviance. I mean, my goodness, there are people now who don't even believe that God made us male and female. That's how far away we've drifted from His design. So what was unthinkable just a couple of generations ago became not only tolerated a generation ago, but actually normalized and embraced as good to the point where now in this generation, it's celebrated openly. People take pride in these kinds of sexual behaviors. So we, we've drifted a long way away, and now it feels like you're the weird one, you're the wrong one, if you're holding to a more traditional biblical understanding of sex and marriage, that there's something wrong with you if you're not recreationally dating and experimenting and have all kinds of experience, then you must be a freak, you must be a loser. And yet this is what Paul writes to us elsewhere in 1 Timothy 4. God's will is for you to be what? Holy. So stay away from how much? All sexual sin. Then each of you will control, and we are an out-of-control society, aren't we? You'll control his own body and live in holiness and honor not in lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God and His ways. So what's your first priority? It's holiness. And maybe some of you are feeling kind of bad right now because you've already crossed that line and you say, well, it's too late for me. I'm not a virgin any longer. You know, what do I do? What about me? And you, know, you can't undo what's been done, but what you can do is seek and receive forgiveness. And you can commit to living in celibacy until you're married from now on. And you may view that as a curse, to, to have to live in celibacy as a curse. Like, you know, 
God, what's wrong? Why don't you love me anymore? Why have you left me all by myself? But what does Paul call it? And Paul, by the way, was single, so you're in good company. He calls it a gift. It's a gift because it's going to spare you from all kinds of troubles, and it's going to free you up to devote yourself more fully to the Lord. But he says, look, if it's not your gift, if, if you're not able to remain sexually pure, then hustle up, grow up, and get married. Go ahead, that's fine. And can I just add in here my own personal observation? Okay, this isn't from the Lord, but if you're going to date, date somebody for a long time. Really get to know them. Uh, ask all those hard questions. Uh, don't just hang out for recreational romance actually court them because if you're not looking for a mate then you really shouldn't date what's the point so quit flirting and breaking hearts and quit leading them on and quit saying I love you if you have no intention of getting married right. well you say you, what about teenagers though are you saying that teenagers should, shouldn't date anybody unless you're gonna marry them? no I'm just saying the pressure starts very young to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, and to start rounding the bases when you're still a, a kid. So can I just ask, like, why are you wanting to date when you're 13, 14, 15 years old? What's the point? I mean, why do you feel like you need a boyfriend or a girlfriend at such a young age? What's the hurry? What, why do you want to complicate your life? What, why all the drama? You don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend to validate that you're someone special, that you're important, that you're desirable, or that you're cool. You don't need that. You say, well, it's good for developing social skills to go around dating a lot so you can figure out who you like and who you don't like. Can I just say, you don't, you don't need to date to figure that out. You don't need to be locking braces and touching body parts to figure that out. You can be with friends, you can be in groups, just don't be alone with somebody because that's not wise. And you say, well, nothing's gonna happen. Well, that just shows how naive and inexperienced you are to think that you're the exception to the rule. Of course things happen. They happen all the time. And by the way, you girls who think that that guy just wants to be your good friend, nine times out of 10, he wants something more than that. And you say, well, we're just like brother and sister. Oh, he wants something more than family ties, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> but I'm only 16, it's not like we're gonna get married. I met the girl I was going to marry when she was 16. We started dating. Oh, we were just brother and sister. <laughs> I knew before she was 17, I'm going to marry her. So just some free advice. Take it or leave it. But the only good reason, I think, to date somebody is if you both have marriage on the mind. Otherwise, why are you doing it? So you need to be talking about what, what you're looking for in a spouse. Do you really have that kind of compatibility? Ask those hard questions. And once you realize you do have the right kind of person to marry, then put a ring on it. I mean, date a long time, but get engaged for a short time because the temptation to act like you're married once you're engaged is going to be powerfully strong. Just got really quiet in here. Uh, some of you, you get engaged and then you don't set a date or you put it off for a long time, like over a year, two years or more. Why? What, why, why are you putting it off so long? So you can have an expensive wedding? Is that what this is really about? No. I mean, once you have the right person, then you get married. You say, well, I love you, I love you, but what's, what, let's wait, what's, what, 
if you love me, take me to the preacher, man. Quit living like you're married. Get that premarital counseling and move that wedding date up. And if you're wanting to move toward marriage, then you need to focus on developing your faith and your spiritual maturity. And while you're at it, growing up in all kinds of other ways too. Getting a job, quit carousing around, get your act together, be responsible, and become somebody who is worth marrying. Focus on the person you're becoming instead of the person that you're looking for. All right? Become that godly, mature, responsible person that would attract somebody of the kind of caliber that you're looking for. Until you get your act together like that, you're not going to attract that kind of person to yourself. And some of you may be new Christians and you're thinking, wow, I need to really get to know Jesus better and get to know the Bible better before I figure out who I want to marry because I've brought some spiritual baggage into this thing and I need to get that sorted out. And I become so different, I don't even know what kind of person I should marry now. Good. Focus on the person you're becoming instead of the person that you're hunting. That's more important. Again, there's no right or wrong on this. If you want to get married, that's great. If you want to stay single, that's great too. It's all your personal conviction. But Paul is saying, given the circumstances, listen, staying single can be the better choice if you're able. If you're able. If you're able to exercise that fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Because then you see that singleness is a gift from God. It's a gift. You say, man, that is some kind of white elephant gift. I did not put that on my Christmas list. Nobody asked for that. But Jesus, remember last week, he points out, he recognizes celibacy is a gift, but it's not for everybody. Some are able to remain single and celibate and be content, and others just are frustrated and lonely, like, God, why do you hate me so much? Why, why don't you bring somebody? I can't find the right person. How is singleness a gift for me, God? Well, first I would say that it's a gift when it prevents you from marrying the wrong person. Wouldn't you agree? It's a gift if it prevents you from marrying the wrong person because some of you get so caught up in the wrong kind of person that you disregard what God says. And you jump in, you plunge into this tragically miserable marriage because you didn't listen to God. And if you think being single and lonely is hard, try being married and lonely. That's miserable. And so the, the, that desire for intimacy can actually lead you away from your first love from God. You're, you're more concerned about marrying that person than your relationship with God. And you, when, when you believe God's not answering your prayer, when He's not coming through for you, you begin to doubt His love and your desire for somebody else uh, leads you to think, well, this, this man or this woman, they're... That's where I'm going to find abundant life, is with that person. That I, when I find my soulmate, that's when I'll have abundant life, which leads you away from the true lover of your soul. You know? It's okay to ache for a mate. It's, it's normal, but Christ wants to be the center of your life. He, he, he wants to be enough for you. And Christians who are living that celibate life as singles show the world that Christ is enough. And so the gift may actually be the state of being single. Just as being married can be a state that is a gift from God to you. Because marriage is a blessing with benefits and being single is a blessing with benefits. So just thank God for the gift for whatever season of life you're in and use it for His glory. Don't get so frustrated. With, with God's plan that you settle for less, you lower your standards, and you marry the wrong person. That's a tragedy. It is so much better to remain single than to marry the wrong person. Isn't that true? 
Because some of you have been there, and you know what I'm talking about. That you marry somebody, and you know, you know it wasn't the right thing to do. They they don't love Jesus like you do. They don't really love you. They didn't want to have kids like you do. They don't want that kind of responsibility. And God's saying, look, until the person that I know is the right fit for you comes along, my gift to you is nobody. My gift is nobody. That's a real gift to you. You know the saying about, tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? Well, tis better to remain single than to be heartbroken, devastated, and divorced especially when there's kids involved. And last week we saw that God's ideal is not divorce, that he intends for a male and a female to join together as one flesh in a lifelong bond of covenantal selfless love. That's his ideal. And Paul says, look, as long as you're bound to your spouse, there's a bond that should not be broken by anything except death. But when death happens, you're widowed. Okay, you're free to remarry. But Even then, it may be better to remain single. I think you'll even be happier, he says. But if you want to get married, it's okay. Just make sure it's in the Lord. Make sure you find a believer that you have that spiritual compatibility with, which is why we require premarital counseling. So you can work through those issues. You put on the brakes on this thing and say, wait a minute, is this somebody that I truly have spiritual compatibility with and that I really can be faithful to for the rest of my life? And I'm not saying premarital counseling is a guarantee that you're going to have a great marriage, but I've seen too many couples rush into a marriage without dealing with those issues before the ring went on. And then they have to deal with them later after the escape door is already closed. So deal with it up front. Because we all grow up with these childhood stories, right? And they lived happily ever after. Right? When the prince and the princess get married. Leaving the impression that, you know, it's hard work (laughs) meeting and leading up to that kiss. But after that, man, it's smooth sailing. It's like a Hallmark movie, right? They kiss and everything's good after that. Well, those are, those are kind of nice, feel-good, escapist stories, but we have to be realistic about our expectations and understanding that marrying the wrong kind of person because you haven't become the right kind of person does not usually end happily ever after. Singleness has its advantages. It really does. I mean, you get lonely when you see couples holding the hands and you watch all those romantic movies. But I'll tell you, even when a marriage is a wonderful thing, but even when it's a good marriage, there's, there's complications, there's conflict. Get this, Paul says in verse 28, those who marry will face many what? troubles in this life and I want to spare you this can I get an amen trouble 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 in marriage am I right of course you know why because you're trying to get two sinful selfish people to live with each other in a selfless bond of love that's that's really difficult even with Jesus in your life that's really really difficult I don't know how you do it without Jesus God bless you guys who can do it without Jesus but man and for every Single person who's thinking married life, that's where it's at. There's a married person saying single life is where it's at, man. Less stress, less responsibilities, more freedom, more time for friendships and to develop my interests and my hobbies and my talents and to go where I want to go and move where I want to move and do what I want to do and even to develop my spiritual growth and go on mission trips and I can be more generous because come on, married life is expensive. It's expensive. So there's a lot of advantages here. 
But Paul even focuses on more serious troubles when you get married. Because back then, you could be persecuted as a Christian. When you have these kinds of societal upheavals, when you have these social pressures, when you have this kind of risk to living for Christ, where if you get discovered, you may be, you may be harmed, you may be uh, killed. I mean, it only complicates it. If you've got a wife and kids, you've got to take care of too because you've got to keep them hidden away for fear of being discovered and then you're going to leave them a widow and orphans or they're going to be put to death too. And so it makes more sense just to be free of all those entanglements, not have to worry about that, not have to keep your faith hidden and go underground, but that you can freely practice your faith and talk to people about Jesus. You can't do that when you've got to worry about your family too. Now we can't make that a universal principle because that kind of Stuff's not going on here, right? But it is going on in many parts of the world. It does cost you something to be a Christian. It might make more sense in those places to remain single, but that's not what's going on here. And yet the goal is the same for all of us. Paul says this in verse 35. Everyone together, let's say it out loud. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord undivided devotion so don't stress about finding a spouse okay if it happens it happens but don't stress about it because you've got God in your life he's with you you've got a church family you got fellowship and you got to be okay with that but if that desire is so strong and intense for that intimacy then it's it's still okay to go ahead and get married and we're gonna put some books up on the screen for you once again this week some suggestions that might help you in this season and stage of life Might want to take out your camera your phone and take a picture of the screen or check out social media later we'll have it on there but we've got some good books like love sex and dating boundaries and dating finding the right one for you kingdom single the Five Love Languages for Singles, and The Sacred Search. And then you might want to write down this website too. It's a good one for, for singles and young adults especially. It's called boundless.org, okay? Write that down, boundless.org. Check it out. Now, no, hey, no doubt singleness can be really tough. And, you know, with the loneliness, with the sexual temptation, I mean, that's still there for married people too, but it's only amplified in singleness. And staying single doesn't mean you've got to you got to stay that way. you got to stay lonely, that you have to live as a hermit. God doesn't want isolation for you. He wants you to, to be in fellowship with others, not to lapse into some sort of self-centered lifestyle and, in, and into sexual sin, either through lust or through action. And, and you know what? The, the heroes are those who courageously choose to live in obedience to the God as celibate singles because they're battling same-sex attraction because they know scripture says that that behavior is wrong the sin is not in the attraction the sin is in the action in acting on those feelings and so some who turn to Christ they find freedom from that struggle and may even have those feelings for the opposite sex restored to them as God's original design but some don't and so for them it's a daily victory to find our identity in Christ instead of their old sinful nature instead of their their uh, temptations and tendencies and orientations and proclivities and that's true for all of us to find our identity in Christ and not in our old nature that's bent that's corrupted towards sin ungodliness and immorality God says that's what you were that's not who you are anymore you're a new creation in Christ 
And so if you're married, look, be a good spouse. Work hard on your marriage. Try to please your spouse. Raise some righteous kids. It's all good stuff. But always remember to keep the Lord first, okay? Please your family, but please Him above all. And if you're single, to find ways to satisfy that craving for closeness in platonic relationships. And above all, that you would draw close to the Lord because He promises He will draw close to you. And that leads to our big idea that staying single allows devotion without distraction. Devotion without distraction. Undivided devotion to the Lord and to His work. And that's true for all of us to say, Jesus, what does Jesus want me to do? How can I keep Him number one in my life? Because lots of things are going to try and distract us away from, from doing what He's called us to do. Good things can distract us away from fulfilling His calling on our lives. Look, we've only got so much time on this earth. We've only got so many opportunities to, to do our main thing in life. We get so wrapped up in this world and in the stuff and, and the relationships that it pulls us away from our main calling to glorify God and our primary mission to make disciples for Jesus. And if, look, if you're single, are you the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for? Say that one again. Are you the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for? If you're not, God wants you to become that kind of person. Remember, Jesus was single too, and he was tempted in every way just like we are, but he was without sin. He didn't give in to those temptations. And though he was divine, he was human, and he felt every kind of emotion we do. He felt all that loneliness, all that frustration, but he never acted on it wrongly. And he, he kept all of his relationships appropriate with women and with men because he treated them as family. Jesus is the ideal. And so you may not consider yourself particularly religious or even a Christian, but you know what you've heard right now. You know in your heart is true because you've had enough relationships go bad that you know it's a myth about finding Mr. Right or Ms. Right. That there is no perfect person out there that can meet all your needs. Well, there is, but it's not the one you thought it was. There is only one perfect person who loves you more than you can ever imagine, who is the true lover of your soul, who can meet your needs, a savior who gave his life for you and wants something better for you, and his name is Jesus. And if you don't know him, I want to introduce it to you, to, to you, him to you now. I want you to call out to him because he wants to be with you forever. That's why he came. So that you could establish that kind of relationship with the one who made you, knows you better than you know yourself. The one who loves you no matter what you've done. And can give you that new life and that new hope. Would you pray with me? You can say it in your own heart, in your own words. Words like this, Lord, I want to confess my sin to you. I want to repent of those sins because I know you love me. You died for me. You rose from the dead so I could be saved, so that I could be with you forever. I don't want to miss that. Father, would you empower us by the Holy Spirit to live in full, undivided devotion to you, to trust and obey you and to walk in purity, self-control, Forgive us when we've fallen. Forgive us over and over and over through Christ. We submit our singleness to you. We submit our marriages to you. We submit all of our relationships to you. And we see them all as a gift. We receive them that way, Lord. And, and help us to live for Jesus. Make us more like him. Jesus, may you be enough for us.
because you're all, you're all we need. So take everything. And for those who haven't made that decision, they haven't yet decided to follow Christ, I pray that you would convict them right now, Lord. Call them today that they would begin that new life with you. Because we're praying in Jesus' name.